you're listening to The Maniculum, pointing the finger at the Middle Ages. We bring you the choicest medieval nonsense, discuss and evaluate it, then pillage it for our own geeky purposes. So, Easter. We're going to do an Easter episode this week, and I'm in charge of this one. So, instead of talking about the history of Easter... Since we did our sort of history of Halloween and sewing and all of that, I thought we would talk about what is known as the Easter controversy. That's when the Irish got in their like planes and like shot at the British. <laughs> that was one of the several Easter controversies. We're going to go a little bit farther back, but it does still have to do with the Irish. So for those who are less aware of what Mac is referring to, I believe you're referring to the, the Easter uprising. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes. Which was basically right in the middle of World War One, which just or right at the tail end of World War One. Anyway, Easter reckonings and the Easter controversy. So rather than bring a particular medieval text, this is going to be more of a conceptual discussion because there are a lot of different ways to go about Easter timelines and the Easter controversy. So we're going to have to get a little bit creative with our segments this week, but I'm hoping that I can make enough sense out of it. I should note, I am very bad at math, and this is a lot of math. So bear with me here. So have you ever heard of Computus before? Are you familiar with Computus? Vaguely. I know it's a thing. I know it's about finding out when Easter is. I know it involves a lot of really confusing looking diagrams because there's a bunch at the beginning of that Tiberius manuscript that the Wonders of the East is in. And I can't make head or tail of them because they look like something that would be like scratched on the cell wall in an insane asylum. They really do. They're they're quite terrifying. There's some in the British library, so we can use their pictures. So I'll upload some of them to the blog. Yeah, they're quite intimidating. And so I'm going to do my best to break them down. The problem with this is that there's a lot of different ways to reckon time. And we having having a calendar is not a new thing, but having a singular calendar that makes sense and that most of the world uses is a new thing. So we're going to get into the ins and outs of medieval timekeeping. And this doesn't even have to get into like the timekeeping of day to day and saints feasts. This is just the yearly calendar. And of course, to what degree our calendar makes sense, I would say is debatable. Well, and that shows how much of our calendar is based off of these medieval calendars and premises. So our calendar is also really messed up. Like one of the recent things that I heard was that the modern calendar is inaccurate And if you go back to like the Gregorian calendar or something, 2020 is actually what 2012 was supposed to be. So according to the Mayan calendar, it's still correct. And 2020 was supposed to be the end of the world, which explains why everything was going wrong. I'm not sure how much I buy that. Oh, I definitely don't buy it. Very strange, like error margin. I disagree. For the reasons of Computus, actually. And I will, I will get into this. So. so I know there is a conspiracy theory where people think that like a good chunk of the Middle Ages is basically invented and we're actually in the, in like the 16th century or something. Future Mac here. What I'm thinking of is the phantom time hypothesis, if you want to look that up. Apparently, there's more than one version of this with varying degrees of insanity and or nationalism attached to it, including some that claim, like, 
history was intentionally changed to minimize the contributions of their country and amplify or fabricate contributions of other countries to global civilization. So that's fun. That's a that's a Wikipedia rabbit hole you can fall down. You talked about this, which seems wild to me. I don't really get how you can say like, oh, yes, these past hundred years didn't exist and we made it up. But I do understand how you can have isolated incidents of that. Like, how many emperors were there really in late antiquity? Who counts as an emperor? We sort of had to flush those things out, but we're probably missing one or two. Yeah. I feel like that's very likely. The partial historians who do an excellent podcast on the Roman Republic, or rather, the early history of Rome, currently they're in the early Republic era, uh, have made the point several times that there are probably a lot of kings missing from the Roman kingdom. Because mm-hmm. it's just suspect that there are there are seven kings, and each of them mm-hmm. lasted like 40 years, and each of them mm-hmm. did a couple important things, and it just doesn't seem historically plausible. No, definitely not. But we like to streamline our history. Yeah, so, so it seems like there's been a lot of stuff left out. Yeah. So how old is the world really, and how are we going to accurately measure history? At this point, the deeper I get into timekeeping, the more I'm like, we don't really know, and any attempts to figure this out are kind of useless. So that is my (laughs) official opinion. I don't care. Time is fake. But computus is interesting. So uh, one of my professors at Trinity, Dr. Immo, I struggle with his last name. He's German, so forgive me, Immo, for saying your last name wrong. Warnjes. W-A-R-N-T-J-E-S. He always just had us call him Immo, so that's how I'm going to refer to him. Yeah, I don't don't know how to say that either. No, I I, I can't pronounce it. And at Trinity, uh, it's very much the culture that you just call your professor by their first name, which I adore. I would be terrified to do that back at Purdue. Like, I I would never go up to Dr. Powell and call her Nush. I would just, I think I would drop dead. Yeah, I was just thinking exactly that. Or Dr. Armstrong just saying, hey, Dory. Yeah, like, I I would not be able to do that whatsoever. No. Uh, But Immo was great. Immo was fantastic. And he's the one who actually introduced me to the Easter controversy. This is his sort of thing. So he gets very, very into it. And it can be very difficult to understand. So I hope I do it justice. But for anyone who is seriously interested in this idea or medieval conceptions of time and the end times specifically, I highly recommend his work. If you Google it, um, you'll see that this is something that he absolutely specializes in. So getting into it, we are going to take a very roundabout path as to how Computus connects to Easter. So Computus, as you said, is the reckoning of when Easter is. And this is a really big deal because Easter is sort of the biggest holiday in the Christian calendar. In modernity, we sort of make Christmas the bigger deal. But for medieval Christians, Easter was the um, big day because that's Christ's resurrection. That's whereby salvation can be found is through Christ's rising again. Because you can't just have your savior die. He's also got to come back to life. Which which just makes it extra dumb that they're using two different calendrical schemes for Christmas and Easter. Like, that Christmas is like, okay, it's this date. And Easter's like, okay, it's dependent on like a lunar equinox thing. Either yes. do both of them like that or do both of them the other way. Which they should be and originally were supposed to be like this. So why Christmas is always on the 25th? Uh, 
but both were basically supposed to be at the equinox, Okay. you know, or the solstice. So like the winter solstice and then the spring equinox is when they were supposed to be. So you can push out the spring fertility rites and Saturnalia. Yes. Yes, precisely. So... Yeah, so Computus was originally about the computation of when Easter Sunday was, but the later Middle Ages eventually referred to it as any sort of time reckoning or computation, and that was sort of more popularized by the Venerable Bede in his The Reckoning of Time. Would you say that this makes the Venerable Bede an excellent computer? (laughs) I hate you for this, but yes. Yes, yes, indeed. So I think the other title, the Latin title is De Ratione Temporibus, so the reckoning of time. Uh, And he also helped establish the BCAD system, which we now use BC, what is it? BC and BCE. Is it BCE and and CE? And CE, that's right, common era, uh, which was established first by Dionysus Exegus in about 500. So Bede sort of popularized this, especially because De Ratione Temporibus became a really big text, but this has roots all the way back to late antiquity and 500 AD. So when I'm talking about Computus, I'm usually going to be talking about it in the sense that it's the Easter reckoning, but later it can also be used to just talk about any sort of timekeeping or how we how we measure time. So How did the medievals measure time? We have the established calendar that most of the world sticks to. The Jewish Orthodox and Muslim communities have different calendars, and they're the biggest outliers. But folk in the Middle Ages didn't have a singular way of reckoning time. So there were a bunch of really obvious ways. We've got the seasons, day, night, moon cycles, and that's how the oldest cycles of time typically work. Like you brought up earlier, Saturnalia and sort of the Celtic calendar. So... Those were the really oldest, and those were sort of based on moon cycles, especially. And then we have the Julian calendar, which was established by Julius Caesar in 46 BC, which was a adaptation to the Roman calendar. So we've got an older Roman calendar, and then Julius Caesar made everything about him and established the Julian calendar. And this was largely adapted because the Roman Empire was so widespread, but it worked very, very well because it established calends, K-A-L-E-N-S, which were essentially essentially months, and these months had different days. So you'd have some months that would be 30 days, and in other years, they would be 31 days. So instead of having leap years, which they also had, you would have months that would vary in day length as well. So for instance, March 2020 might have had 30 days. March 2021 might have 31. Every month is February. (laughs) Yes, it's very strange. But then you have to include leap years in addition to that. So those weren't helpful either. This was also before they numbered their years, right? Yes. Roman years were just like whoever the consuls were that year. And it would be like, this is the year of Bob and Joe. And that was how they remembered it. Yeah. So, and we call those consular years. So yeah, they had consular years up until basically the Roman Empire fell apart. Because you wouldn't go by who the emperor was because... Most of the time at that point, you didn't know who the emperor was, but you did know who your consuls were or even your local officials. So sometimes you even have local officials, which can make it very, very difficult to figure out what happened in a particular year when you don't actually know what year it was. Right. And also the consular year system was already in place well before there were such a thing as emperors. So why change it? Yeah, exactly. So calends are interesting. 
And I find this a fascinating system of keeping time. And I highly recommend it for D&D if you're particularly interested or your players are particularly interested in keeping time. If not, this is way too much effort. But Callens are interesting uh, because hold on, rather hold on. What than... kind of GM is not interested in calendrical minutia? What kind of I world mean, building do you think these people are doing? No one is the, that sloppy. It's, the it's dungeon there. crawlers. <laughs> you don't need to know how many days are in a month if you're in a dungeon for three weeks. I guess. But, you know, you do you. So, calendars are very interesting because rather than counting the days of the month, you tick days before or after an important date. So most people are familiar with the Ides, like the Ides of March are the 15th. So beware the Ides of March. But there were also the Nones. And the Nones were either the 7th or the 9th day of the month. And then the Ides are eight days after the Nones, which is generally the 15th. So in counting these things, you would say uh, you might have a fall festival five days before the Ides. And that would be written out V-I-D. on a a manuscript. So five days before the Ides. And so then you count that back. So what is that? That'd be the 10th, 10th of the month. Ta-da! You figured out what calendar that was or what calendar date that is. But you would also just refer to it as five days before the Ides. So you'd have the Nones, the Ides, and the Calends. So if you have, what is it? March 20, if we have March 28th, that's three days before the new month. So... Is that three days? I don't know. I can't do math. Four days. Whatever. Whatever it is before the month. And so that's well, let's just say that was... uh, whatever year you're using as an example, <laughs> March happened to have the right number of days that year to make that math work. To make it three. Yeah. We're going to, you know, <laughs> it's not a scribal error. It's fine. So clearly I can't do math. I can't even do basic math. But whatever it was, if you're counting up to the new month, it would be three days before the calends. And the calends would be the first of the month. So that was one way of reckoning time that was very widely used and very useful because it was basically the same wherever you went. There were also regnal years, which we sort of talked about already with the consular years. So instead of using the consul system, you could talk about who was king at that time. Yeah, and how long they'd been king. Yes, and how long they've been king. So this is in the 18th year of you know King James's reign, blah, 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 blah. We had a firestorm and it was terrible and it burned down you know, 20 houses. And that's one way of reckoning time. And this is more limited in scope. So it can, again, be difficult to ascertain when a certain thing actually happened. But a lot of times, especially on official documents, like exchequer documents. Yes, like the rolls. Exactly. Thank you. You could have both a regnal year and the calendar year according to the Julian calendar, which makes it wonderfully useful because then you can start correlating other events and other documents. And so you're basically creating a giant catalog. That's one of the great things that medievalists do today is figure out when exactly different things happened based on correlating the dates that we know for sure. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I mean, I think it makes sense. Okay, cool. But I am only a sample of one, so who knows? (laughs) This is true. So you're basically doing the red strings all over with whatever documents we have. So you solidify a point that you know happened at this time, and then you figure out what other years it would have been called. And any kind of research that you can visualize by stringing red yarn between different things is good research. Yes, I personally adore it. We're not done. There's more ways to reckon time. Another way to calculate time was AM or Anno Mundi. I'll let you explain this because it's 
with your Latin skills, you should be able to figure out what this one is. I don't know why you think my Latin's better than yours. Oh, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that Anno Mooney oh, should yeah, yeah. be it fairly obvious. Oh, yeah, it the year of the world, <laughs> which I assume yeah. means it's based on Bishop Usher's uh, calculation of how old the world is. Yes. So Anno Mooney is, from the very, very beginning of creation, what year we're in. And... <sighs> Trying to figure out the year of creation was a very big deal, particularly in Ireland. I'll have you take a guess. Why? See, in Ireland, um, because they all the monasteries were on isolated islands. They didn't have anything else to do. I mean, yes, but why would someone particularly... Let me reframe it. Why would a Christian individual, particularly a learned Christian individual, really want to know when the world was created? Honestly, I don't have an answer besides scientific curiosity. Maybe I don't know enough about religion. <laughs> well, if you think about what Christians are waiting for. Oh, well, I mean, is there a, is there a time given? Like it, it's exactly 7,000 years after such and such? They theorized that there was. Now, the Bible is explicit that no man should know the day or the hour. Yeah, I know that bit. That's why. Yes. So even though this is explicitly stated in the Bible, people have been obsessed with figuring out when the world's going to end. So they want to figure out when Christ is returning, when the apocalypse is going to hit. So that is why AM was used, because they want to figure out when the world's going to end so they can be ready for it. And there were a couple different times when people thought that was. The year 6000 AM was one of the big ones. And so that could, Wait, depending on what... isn't 6,000 AM like two, like 1996 AD? It depends on how you calculate it. Oh, okay. Future Mac, I checked. If we go by Bishop Usher, who is anachronistic, he's post-medieval, then yes, it's 1996. However, if we go by the Venerable Bede, then 6,000 AM is equal to 2048 A.D. slash C.E. So watch out. Again, because like you can go back through, and some people did this, they would go back through different ages of people in the Bible and count it out and try and figure out what year that would have been. So like, say you take, okay, Moses lived for this long, and then we have Abraham who lived for that long. Okay, so if they don't overlap, da 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 da, da and you figure out how long it should be. So yes, one of those ideas was like the year 2000-ish which is why people sort of freaked out. Another one would have been either 500 or 800. So especially in Ireland and Britain, when this sort of calendar and timekeeping was becoming especially popular and especially emphasized, we were getting close to the year 800. So people were really, really worried about what was going on at that time. How this relates to Computus, aside from AM and trying to figure out, okay, are we using AM? Are we using AD? What sort of framework are we using? If you celebrate Easter on the wrong day, then signs of the apocalypse would appear, theoretically. That's amazing. Yes. Oh my god, the moon has turned blood red. We must have celebrated Easter on the wrong day. Precisely. So celebrating Easter on the right day was not only a matter of, okay, we have to do it in church tradition so we all can celebrate it on the same day. It's also a matter of life or death. I can see someone going like, let's trick people into celebrating Easter on the wrong day and see if the dead rise or something. It'll be great. Oh, yeah, for sure. And so you have a lot of people who are very concerned about when Easter is. And Easter is a movable feast. 
So as we talked about earlier, I mean, it's still movable today. It has a different date pretty much every single year. So that's why it's a really, really big deal. And oh, by the way, I can't remember who this is according to, but Ammo talked about it. Whoever they figured it out, the world was created at around 10 a.m. on March 18th. They like, they figured that out somehow. Is it correct? I don't know, but that's how detailed they tried to get with this sort of thing. Future Mac here. You may hear typing and little else on my end of the recording for a couple minutes. That is because I was trying to figure out whether or not the date that Zoe just gave aligned with the date that Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett gave in Good Omens. And my copy was in the other room, so I was hoping I could find the answer online. However, I have since gotten my copy, and it says the following. The Earth was created on the 21st of October between 8.45 and 9.15 a.m. The error bar there is because the authors specify that 9 a.m. is off by a quarter of an hour, but not in which direction. They also go on to note that this means the Earth is a Libra. I will leave the astrologists in the audience to determine, based on the position of the stars in 4004 BC, and which date you want to go with, what the Earth's actual star sign is, because as we go into later, that is mutable, given the passage of time. Which, like, at that point, I sort of feel like, I don't know, there's better things to do with your time, but... You know, it also happens to be my birthday, so I'll take it. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so, anyway. Yes, so we have Anomuni, and that's another way. And so depending on how you calculated time, this also has political connotations, because whether you're using the Julian calendar, the Regnal calendar, or Anomuni, etc., etc., you're sort of stating where your allegiances are to some degree. So, what does this actually have to do with Easter? Easter's name comes from the shortening of the Old English Monath, or the month of Eistra. And Bede recalls how this month was named after the pagan goddess of fertility, but the holiday itself was still referred to as Pascal or Pascal month. So while there probably was a correlation and overlap between festivals of Eistra and Saturnalia, etc., etc., and what we call modern Easter... There was probably a lot of cultural overlap there. Well, Saturnalia is for Christmas. Oh, yeah. Saturnalia is for Christmas. Thank you. But for Easter and Easter or Pascal, those names were mostly just because people called it Easter Monath. And Pascal itself is derived from the Greek, from the Aramaic, and the Hebrew cognates of the Passover, which celebrates the original Passover of the angel in Egypt during the Hebrew slavery and captivity in Egypt. And then in the Christian theology, it refers to the descending of the Holy Spirit on the disciples after Christ's resurrection. So we have a very, very long history of where we get Pascal and therefore how we get Easter. So we're talking about Two holidays held generally about the same time, and it became a colloquial term. So orthodoxy, like the Greek Orthodox and the Roman Orthodox and the Russian Orthodox still use Pascal as a term. Don't most languages? I mean, Easter is pretty English-specific. Yeah. So there we go. That's our little history of the term of Easter. And Easter itself was a movable feast, which was calculated originally on the Jewish lunisolar calendar and was then determined to be independent by the Council of Nicaea in 325, because they never wanted to 
celebrate the same thing as a Jewish holiday because they didn't like the Jews. And there's a very, very long history of anti-Semitism in early Christianity. So the reason that Easter is a movable feast was because they didn't want it to be on the same day as the Jewish Passover. <laughs> I know. It's sort of ridiculous. That's ridiculous that they made so much work for themselves just for that. And here we are suffering for it yeah. like 2,000 years later. Yeah, we're like we're recording an Easter episode right now, and I genuinely do not know when Easter is. I think it's on April 4th. That sounds right. I don't know. It's in April this year. Regardless, the Christian Passover celebration and the Ascension of Christ was sort of the cutoff. So Easter has to come before that, and it's got to fit on a Sunday. Hmm. Now, notably, because I find semantics to be hilarious, the Council of Nicaea did not ever specify that Easter had to be on a Sunday. So it could have been on any day of the week. However, at this time, it was already sort of solidified culturally that Easter would be celebrated on a Sunday. Because you've got a Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. I don't remember. Bad Saturday. Saturday. Bad, is it bad? No, don't think so. <laughs> I think it's Silent Saturday, but I don't recall. Uh, and then Easter Sunday. So it was already established culturally, but the Council of Nicaea never established it in the doctrine, which I think is fascinating. So as the church grew... The Pope usually specified the date of the Feast of Easter. And then when communication sort of became more difficult in later antiquity and the Roman Empire broke apart, people had to start calculating the dates of Easter for themselves. And it became a really, really big deal because the lunar year is shorter than the solar year. And so you have this discrepancy between how we calculate the Passover celebration in the Jewish calendar, and therefore when we celebrate Easter, and more or less the Julian calendar, which is based on the solar year. So how do we split that up? And I think it's 354 versus 365, I think is the, the two differences. So according to Bede, the quote unquote lawful Easter is supposed to be the Sunday following the full moon, which falls on or after the equinox. All right, so you wait for the equinox. After the equinox, you wait for the first full moon, and then whatever the next Sunday is, is Easter. Yes, so long as it doesn't hit Passover. <laughs> how, okay, and how do you adjust for that? This is when it starts getting complicated. Oh. As though it's not already. Yeah, that's already more steps than you should have. I know, I know, I agree with this. This depends, again, on which calendar you use because the equinox varies year to year. So the Nicene Council determined that the equinox was on March 21st, regardless of what the actual astronomical event was doing. Excuse me, they what? They determined that the equinox was on March 21st, regardless of what the actual moon was doing. You can't legislate celestial bodies. I refuse. They tried to. <laughs> So that means for those who didn't know about this ruling, it's like, okay, well, then we just calculate Easter based off of the equinox and we look up at the moon. But then what if the actual equinox is different than March 21st? Because again, it can vary. How do you do this? So to add more complexity to all of this, we've got Dionysus who used the Christian era, which is the BC AD system. And the BC AD system used a cycle of years to calculate Easter based on an 84 year cycle to even out the days between the lunar and the solar calendars. And this contrasted with the Irish and British calculations of Easter, which were based on Anno Mundi. And due to an error, 
made the full moons earlier and earlier and earlier. So they're already calculating the years wrong. Dionysus is technically calculating the years wrong, but most of the world is using Dionysus's system and not the Anamundi English, British, and Irish system. And because of the earlier controversy of Easter absolutely needing to fall on a Sunday, because that was the first Easter controversy, was we have a big feast. When are we going to celebrate it? Sunday, obviously. We have to celebrate it on a Sunday. Everyone's in church anyway. Right. And so, mind you, when we're talking about the British Easter controversy and the Irish Easter controversy in that time period, we're talking like scooch it up to bead in the 700s. Now, if we go back to the Council of Nicaea in the 300s, this is the first chunk of the Easter controversy when they had to figure out when we're actually going to celebrate Easter. This is when they said March 21st is the equinox. So that's when they decided that, but there was still issues about that because they're like, well, if we want to have it on the first Sunday after the equinox, then what about when the equinox is? Blah, 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 blah. So then they decided, okay, it has to be on a Sunday and the equinox is always March 21st. Now, this would work great if the years and the days lined up, but they don't. So (laughs) go figure. Fast forward to back to Bede's time. The remaining controversy was based on which Sunday it needed to fall and whether it should be calculated based on the astronomy versus the tradition. And sometimes, well, a lot of times, Easter tables were established long in advance. So you'd have your, like someone would write out the Easter table and then, you know, it would be in your manuscript Mm -hmm. and that's what you use. And that's where it is. However, if you got that calculation wrong, different communities would have different days when it would be. So your cousin up the road might be celebrating Easter one or two weeks off from you based on the Easter calculation. Especially if the person who wrote that Easter calculation was one of those necromancer clerics you you keep mentioning, and they just wanted to see what would happen. Exactly. So local communities can pick out that Easter Sunday without worry. And so we call those like golden numbers in the calendars is when you know that Easter Sunday is going to fall. But in order to make the dates and the feast days fit for local saints, etc, etc, sometimes, sometimes scribes would fudge the numbers because they're like, oh, well, we need to have this Sunday. We need to move this round. Oh, okay. Well, that'll, that'll be Easter Sunday. I'm sorry. Don't they think there are going to be signs of the apocalypse if they do this? What you gonna do? What you gonna do? When they come for you? (laughs) So if things didn't line up and if the math didn't line up, sometimes they would have to round up or down a couple of days for the calends to work to make it fit on Domenica on a Sunday. And then add on top of this regular scribal errors and misunderstandings and misreading. So sometimes you might have two eyes. Mm Mm-hmm which when written very close together, look like a U, which is also the letter for a V. So did they write two or did they write five? So is Easter supposed to be two days before the calends or five days before the calends? And what if neither one of those days is a Sunday? That's when a scribe would start fudging it because they have to make a decision and they don't have the math. They don't have the original documents to figure that out. So then they had to interpret it. So that's one of the really big issues with finding the Easter dates. And that, kids, is why you show your work. Yes, precisely. So I have an article by Faith Wallace, and this sort of explains how it's very difficult to find 
Computus, and this is from an article called What a Medieval Diagram Shows a Case Study of Computus. Quote, Computus's activity of maintaining the Christian calendar involved rules, formulae, and didactic texts. In practice, however, the activity unfolded on two interconnected graphic platforms, the Roman solar calendar and the Pascal table, which is lunar. Solar calendars in the Middle Ages were not calendars for a single year. Instead, they represented the 12 months of the Roman year in generic form. Each monthly page consisted of a vertical list of the days of that month running like a spine down in the center, flanked to either side by data linked to each day. To the right was the martyrology. To the left, a series of columns containing data required to customize the calendar for any specific year. For example, immediately to the left of the days of the month in figure one, and you can find her article, I will link it in the blog, are the dominical letters represented by the seven letters A through G, which are repeated. These are used to translate the calendar date into a weekday. Because the solar year is 365 days. A standing for a Monday, B standing for booze day, <laughs> obviously. Yes, of course. Because the solar year of 365 days is longer than 52 weeks, March 15th, the dominical letter D in 2014 did not fall on Friday as it did in 2013, but on a Saturday. And in 2015, it will be on a Sunday. So the letters, I believe, tell you year to year where they're going to fall. Mm -hmm. So that's how that works. Thus, one would say that the dominical letter for 2015 would be D, and all days marked with D in the calendar would fall on Sunday. However, in 2016, the 1st of March would not fall on Monday, but Tuesday, because 2016 is a leap year and an additional day will be inserted in February. March 15th, that D, because it's the Ides, will cycle through all the weekdays again in 28 years, the product of the seven days of the week times the four letters of the leap year cycle. In the Middle Ages, would we need a formula or more likely a table using the dominical letters to find the weekday of a given date in a given year? So... That is, generally speaking, how one would calculate a Sunday. I feel like if I were a monk at this time, I would look at that and then go like, can we just start over and make something that's internally consistent instead of trying to link all these different systems together? I would agree with this. This is why I didn't do math. <laughs> so when you have these diagrams, you might have something we'll have, for instance, you've got your little grids, it looks like an Excel spreadsheet, you've got a D, and then diagonally down from that in the next one, or the next week would be another D, and then diagonally again would be another D and another D, because that day keeps bumping down. And so you get this cycle. And so that's where we get this sort of weird 84 year cycle system, particularly for Easter. So this is my major like chunk of how Computus works for Easter. There's a couple other interesting articles about this. I want to find what's useful and as little confusing as possible because it is so frustrating. I will say that Wikipedia has a very good general introduction to Computus. So if you are interested in this and still confused by what I'm talking about, I would highly recommend that. So there's also a fantastic book called The Easter Computus and the Origins of the Christian Era, which again is Dionysus' system of going from BC to AD. That's his dating system by Alden A. Mosshammer, that I would highly recommend, and that gets into the Easter tables of Dionysus and the Pascal calculations in early Christianity. So he's got some great stuff in there. There was a controversy about 
which calendar people were using. And there was an argument made in, I believe it was Northern Ireland at the time. I'll have to find the article again that these people were using the wrong Easter calendar. Therefore we had plagues and ruin and floods and fire. And so you do get local political issues based on how people would talk about the Easter controversy. So this wasn't just something, I mean, this was definitely something that was elitist in every sense, because your local farmer is not going to know how to do these calculations. I don't know how to do these calculations, (laughs) you know? So (laughs) they're not going to care, but the scribes and different churches and different monasteries are going to have arguments about when Easter is. And if you use the wrong Easter, then it's your fault that these plagues are happening and it's your fault that this is happening and blah, 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 blah. So that's sort of how that files out. There's a lot and it gets very, very deep. I have another article by my professor called the Munich Computus and the 8414 year Easter reckoning because there's the 8414 year Easter reckoning, but there's also an 8412 year Easter reckoning. So again, You can get into the nitty gritty of this stuff, and they did. So the abstract for this paper says, The construction and especially the assignment of the Easter dates of the Easter reckoning used in the British Isles from the 5th to the 8th century, here called the 8414, has been a matter of scholarly debate for the past 400 years. Since the discovery of the Munich Computus in 1878, the text that became the primary source for this Easter reckoning, the debate has centered almost exclusively on this manuscript. This changed with the discovery of an Easter table of this reckoning in 1985, which provided reliable Easter dates as well as a most valuable insight into the construction of the table itself. However, these two primary sources have never been compared thoroughly. Such comparison is provided in the present table, which leads to an analysis of its implication for the 8414 in general and for the Munich Computus in particular. So if you're fascinated by all of this, I highly recommend that article. But just as as an example, in he's got these lovely tables that are laid out in AD 410. So that's by our reckoning in 410 AD, according to how we calculate the real Easter full moon. So here's the full moon, here's the equinox, according to like astronomical actual universe time, it fell on April 5th. According to the Alexandrian Easter full moon, that happened on April 4th. The Easter full moon, according to this British system, was, or rather how he refers to it as the 8414, occurred on April 4th, which then gives you how to calculate Easter. So if you calculate the full moon, according to this particular table, you've got it on April 4th. And the Easter full moon, according to the Subutatio Romana, happened on April 3rd. So those are all fairly close. At this point, it's still fairly close and you can compare these different things, but sometimes they can get quite, quite drastically off. (laughs) <laughs> so what what did happen if they like if they did the calculations and it said it's the same day as Passover? Like would they just bump it to the next Sunday or like what? You'd ha- I feel like you'd have to do it the the Sunday before cuz Passover was its own thing, you know? Cuz that's that's in Acts, right? It's in Acts when all the disciples are gathered around the table and the Holy Spirit descends. I thought that was Pentecost. Yes, stand by. I mean, you've been to church more recently than I have, so you probably know better. Yes. I'm pretty sure that Pente- like that is what it's called. It is Pentecost, and I'm Pentecost happened 
as the disciples were celebrating Passover, from what I recall, but I could oh. be totally wrong. That because that's why it's Pascal. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So so yes yes yes. Yes. So Pentecost comes from the Passover. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. So the, everything overlaps. It's all overlapping. Mm-hmm. Like because you've got like an end date, and then you you know you've got Lent and everything. So you've got the moon, and it has to happen between the moon and Passover. Okay. <laughs> There's so many easier ways to do this. There, there really, really is. But this is just a reminder for anyone who gets confused about when Easter is. There is a much, much better way of doing it now. And since everyone probably found this was all ridiculous, I will tell you that once the, uh, once the Gregorian calendar was introduced in the 1500s, it got worse because oh. they reformed the calendar again. So does that just add like another variable they have to work in? I think so. And then once we get past that, it starts to line up. It just, ugh. <sighs> I got, I gave myself a headache researching this because it gets very, very intense. There was some where I actually had mathematical formulas. And I want to find that article because it is intense. There is a another fantastic article called World Maps and Easter Tables, Medieval Maps in Context, which includes the cotton map. Hey. Which we talked about. Yeah. It's a good map. Yes, a great map. It tells us that the Red Sea is literally red, and so is the Nile, which is actually two rivers at least. If you look at the Nile, it, it's broken into two parts because there was this oh, theory that yes. like the Nile went underground for a bit, and that's why you couldn't find the source of it. That is fascinating. Alrighty, here we go. Yeah, so let's see. Where do we have any interesting computus tables? Anyone who's glanced at a medieval manuscript has probably seen one of these and will will probably recognize it, but ha- has not known what to make of it because it's very very difficult to read. But I'm pretty sure that's like that's what I've got on Easter in general and Computus. So again, not a text but a concept. Yeah, I can't imagine there being a particular. Actually, you know, I can imagine there being a pretty good story about this is what happens, naughty children, if you celebrate Easter on the wrong day. Well, I will say there is a there is an article if you remember the story of Neil Frosseth mm-hmm. and the the lesbians. I do. There is a great article that connects this tale to the Easter calculation and the magical events that happened at this time. How? Uh, let me pull it up. Alrighty. Yes, this is by Philip Bernard House. Okay, so we talked about this article in terms of the Neil Frost story, but we didn't talk about how it connects to the Easter controversy because that was too much at that time. Because we don't need to get into the Easter controversy when talking about, you know, the inherent homoeroticism of Irish texts. Fair. Fair. Inherent? In this story. Oh, well, yes, in this story. I thought you meant in general. <laughs> okay, I mean, you did cut off the t- of kings who were disgraced. I mean... And there's a lot of imagery of, like, people sucking on the king's teeth. Okay, there. I was gonna say that, like, if cutting off the king's is homoerotic, I have a very different (laughs) idea of of what people get up to in the bedroom than you do. (laughs) No, we won't go that far. (laughs) Let me see if I can find it. Here we go. Someone's familiar with the writings of the Venerable Bede would assume, based on his treatment of the Easter controversy, that the shift of practice of dating 
was a matter of major significance for all involved, including the Irish. It is a larger historiographical question as to whether the Synod of Whitby, in this respect and others, really did constitute the end of the so-called Christian Celtic Church. Based on his reading of an earthquake in Britain, noted in the Irish Annals for the year 664, David Woods has argued that in fact this earthquake was an allegory for the theological controversy involved. I find his suggestion plausible. What other records, I don't. Are, if any, <laughs> if any of the Easter controversy remain in the Irish medieval writings, however, is an open question. I don't think that actual geologic events can be allegories. Okay, but we both acknowledge that they did connect meanings to different things. Yeah. You know, if Mercury's in retrograde and you see a shooting star, then you're going to get sick. Or whatever. Oh, that, okay. I, I thought you meant like, oh, it's not a real earthquake. It's just an allegory. No, I think, I think his point is saying that it was both. You had okay. a real earthquake and also it signifies. Okay, that makes more sense. The Easter conference. That's how I would read it. I'm less incredulous about that statement now. Yeah. If it were just an allegory, then uh-uh. I do like the idea of dismissing natural disasters as like, don't worry, it's just an allegory. <laughs> it's just an allegory, you guys. I mean, with the way that some of these early medievals wrote, like when, once you start getting into Joffrey of Monmouth, you're like, did, did, did that really, was that really a thing? Mm, true. I think this is more talking about the, the fact that the priest was puffed up, mm-hmm. like how he got into his demonic state had more to do with the Easter controversy All right. and the political issues at that time in Ireland, I think is where that's getting from. Okay. That is his argument here. Again, wild. There's a lot there. Here's something interesting. The Pascal full moon date for the year was found from its sequence number in the Metonic cycle called the Golden Number, which cycle repeats the lunar phase the 1st of January every 19 years. This method was abandoned in the Gregorian reform because the tabular dates go out of sync with reality after about two centuries. But from the EPACT method, which is a lunar method, a simplified table can be constructed. It has a validity of one to three centuries. So basically that explains that when this was all established in the Council of Nicaea, it worked very, very well. And then by the time you got to Bede, mm-hmm. he started noticing that this isn't working anymore and we're all off here. This is very, like, the problem is that they're trying to put a number of different shaped pegs into a single round hole basically. Yes. And it doesn't work, but they are convinced that God wants them to do it. It has to be that way. Let me see if I can send you a picture of one of these calendars. And this will be the one that I put in our blog post here. And it's got some lovely marginalia. This gives a great example of looking at the calends and the ides and how we count those out. Yeah, yeah, this looks very much like the ones I saw in the front of the Tiberius Manuscript. Yes, so there you go. So here, you've got all the letters going down. So we've got, look, looks like it starts with I, and K-L-M-N-O-P-Q-R-S-T-U, and then it goes back to Alpha, Beta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a, a, I assume that's Libra over on the side. Yes, I would assume so. Which should tell us what month we're in, I believe. It says September at the top. Yes, it does. Maybe not. Maybe it's just a doodle. I don't know when Libra is. Neither do I. (laughs) 
Well, actually, on that note, that also differed in the Middle Ages compared to how we look at it today. Because I, where did I find this? I saved it because I thought I would use it in D and D. Here we go. Okay, this is so. This is according to the British Library. All right, January is Aquarius, coming from Janus. February is Pisces, March is Aries, April is Taurus, May is Gemini, June is Cancer, July, Leo, August, Virgo, September is Libra. All right. So we are correct. Yeah. And then October is Scorpio, November, Sagittarius, December, Capricorn. So if we compare that to the modern Zodiac. It sounds like it's about a month displaced. I think so. Because technically I'm a Pisces, but being an Aries makes more sense. Yeah, I'm going to start Here telling people go. I'm a... Uh, crap, I already forgot it. What was what was medieval August? Medieval August? Virgo. All right, I'm going to start telling people I'm a medieval Virgo. There you go. Yeah, they are a bit off. Basically by a month. And this is probably due, in fact, in part due to that solely lunar calendar. I mean, and also, you know, planets move. Yeah, that's true, too. That's true, too. What are we in the age of? Are we in the age of Pisces? I don't remember. I don't know what age we're in. I, ju- I just know that, like, our relationship to the stars in the sky does change over time. So, like, the pole yes. star now is, was not always over the pole, like, within written history. Yes, that's true. So, there you go. If you find that you do not fit your typical zodiac sign, double check because maybe we're using the wrong zodiac sign for you. And then you can tell people that you were born in the wrong era and you have the math to prove it. You do have the math to prove it, which is quite impressive. A lot of times, if people are interested in reading more about this, they're going to run into the word epact. And epact was used by medieval computists to talk about the age of the phase of a moon in days. So basically, it's talking about moon phases. Okay, so I have another question about this image. Yes. What is that, like symbol up at the top, the big blue one. Uh, the Kalends. Oh, I believe that's oh, the I KL. See. I see. They're, okay. Yeah. Because we're sense. talking about September here. So up at the top, we've got KL. So the Kalends of September. And we're starting up at, we should be starting up at the top. And it skips number two because you have to make it pretty. Mm-hmm. So two and three and four. And then you're counting down the days to the None. So that big non and with the red S. Mm-hmm. is the nones. And so notice they're counting down and it's not one day before, it's two days before. So the nones is counted as one. So you'll notice that if you're if you're looking at it. And then you've got the ides, ides, ides. And then what we should have on the right side here is feast days and festival days. So... About two-thirds down the way at the bottom, we've got Conceptio of John the Baptist. So, the conception of John the Baptist. So, that would be a a feast day there. The conception of John the Baptist? That's what it says. Conceptio. Why? I mean, because you have to have a feast day for everything. Like, is it just that, like, they're trying to maximize the number of feast days they can get from one person? Like, okay, birth and death and conception. And this is the day he lost his first tooth. I mean, there's a lot of very strange, very small feast days that I personally don't understand. Plus, you've got all the local saints as well. Do you recognize any more? Does that say Imbolc up at the top? I would not be surprised. Uh, Top left, right above that weird little doodle. 
Oh, yeah. E-M-B-O-L. Yeah. That would make sense. I mean, you they did want to correlate all these different periods of time. That is the right time for Imbolc, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, Past Mac, it is not. Imbolc is in February. So either you're reading this wrong, or someone wrote it wrong, or both. And then you've got Deace 30. So this is a 30-day month, which is important because September could change based on the year. And how many moons do we have? Or days of the moon? We've got 29. 29. All right. So I have seen charts like this. I've also seen ones with a lot of, like, crossing diagonal lines. What are those? Yes, let me see if I can find one of those. Let's see. All right, so if you go to Folio 13 Verso of the Tiberius B5 manuscript, there's a pretty good one. And other ones on the surrounding pages, actually. There's a lot of them. So for those who would like to follow along and are confused as to what we are talking about here, when we're talking about folios, folios are the specific, like, sides of a page so mm-hmm. the page itself is double-sided so you've got folio recto recto and verso one. recto and verso so recto is the front and verso is the reverse so that's what we're talking about here so we're talking about the 13th page the 13th folio mm-hmm. verso so we're looking at the back of it yes page numbers are different like the physical sheet of parchment is the page number and then you have a little yeah. letter indicating whether you're looking at the front or the back it's not like yes. in, a, in a printed book No, so that should be helpful for those who are trying to flip through and find out where we are, and I can also hopefully put this on the blog. This one, holy Moses. Yeah, that's why I I wanted to know about them, because I saw this earlier, and I was like, this is wild. What is even happening? If I had to take a guess, I would say that this is calculating days, days here, like weekdays. So like I said, when we have the the diagonal little sections, Mm -hmm. so we've got... Like that A that goes from the very top corner, so like the little first box in your Excel spreadsheet, and it just goes all the way down and across. That's saying, okay, we've got that day of the week is going to fall on X date. Okay. So it should tell you what day of the week you're working with, is my guess. Yeah, there are less insane looking ones if you use the back arrow a couple times. They're all pretty wild, though. They're all, yeah. Oh, look at the Zodiac one. Which folio is that? It's um, 12 Verso. Oh, that's what that is. Okay. Oh, yeah, I see. Now now, yeah, now that I Libra, zoom in a bit, I can see it. Pisces. So, hey, if you want to, you know, you can we can apply our information here. So, is this going to tell us what year we're in? So, my guess is that this would be used for figuring out what the good fortune would be. And I say that sort of good fortune meaning... Uh, how do I say this in a way that's not that doesn't make you immediately think of like astrology charms and and rocks in your window? I mean, because they would do that. Yeah, you'd want to know what way the moon was in, but it was it was less um, less pagany. The church the church would use it. I have rocks in my window. They're not mine. They're my oh. roommates, but I do have like rocks in my window. They're so fun. I I love collecting rocks. But if you look at the very bottom of this page, we've got all the months. Of the year numbered. So we get September. Is that what this is? I thought this was like the time when the moon rose. I Yes, but it's doing it by months. Oh. So Luna, Decembris. The Macron over over the T probably means it's double. Oh. Future Mac here. 
in reality, we spent the better part of an hour then looking over the Tiberius manuscript, or at least the, uh, the digital facsimile provided by the British Library. Future, future Mac. By the Tiberius manuscript, I of course mean Cotton Tiberius B5. But a lot of it doesn't really make good radio, because you can't see what we're looking at unless you're following along really closely. I'm sure Zoe will put it up on the blog, but nevertheless, I'm going to trim down a lot of this section of the episode to just the bits that I feel are interesting, relevant, and not dependent on you being able to see what we're seeing. Thank you. Are there any other good ones? Uh, If you go all the way to the front, there's a circular diagram that I think might be related. Oh, and the calendar pages are very nicely illuminated. They've all got panels at the top with that nice Seussian aesthetic. So pretty. And if you go to two recto, you get a interesting set of circular diagrams. Ooh, these are also calendars. For those interested, the article about maps and diagrams of end computers would be useful here. Let's see if we can make anything out of these. So this is phases of the moon and phases of the sun. That's I like that the Earth is represented as something that looks kind of like a cross between a Celtic knot and like Victorian ironwork. Yeah. My guess, looking at it, I would say that this is giving you the golden days of the year with these little numbers on the inside, and I could be totally wrong about that. I like that one's blank. It makes me wonder if like they drew three and they're like, oh wait, we only we only needed two. Or maybe they yeah. ran out of time. Here we go. So if you're looking at one of these, this should be fairly helpful, I think. Epacs are used to find the dates of a new moon in the following way. Write down a table of all 365 days of the year. The leap day is ignored. Then label all the dates with a Roman numeral from 0 to 30. What is the Roman numeral for 0? A star. Oh, okay. It's an asterisk. Down to 1, starting from the 1st of January, and repeat this to the end of the year. However, in every second such period, count only 29 days and label the date with 25 and also with 24. Treat the 13th period, the last 11 days, as long. Therefore, assign labels 25 and 24 to the sequential dates, which is 26th and 27th of December, respectively. Finally, in addition, add the label 25 to the dates that have 25 and the 38 periods, but in the 29-day periods, add the label 25. Yeah, that made sense. It's calculating the lunar year and reconciling it with the solar year. Uh-huh. I keep looking at these diagrams, and like most of what I'm taking away from this is that the scribe has amazing penmanship. Also, label the dates with the letters A to G, starting from the 1st of January, and repeat it to the end of the year. If, for instance, the first Sunday of the year is on the 5th of January, which has the letter E, then every date with the letter E is a Sunday that year. E is called the Dominical letter for that year, the day of the Lord, the Sunday. The Dominical letter cycles backward one position every year. However, in leap years after the 24th of February, all the Sundays fall on the previous letter of the cycle. So leap years have two Dominical letters, the first for before and the second for after the leap year. So when you're looking at these ridiculous charts, so if you go back to, where was that chart with the on 13, 13 recto? Oh, yeah. Yes. So, okay, this is a great example of that. So this is showing you 
A through G. So this is how we're figuring out what day is a Sunday on the rest of the day for that year. So this is giving you weekdays. It looks like it goes all the way through K. How many letters do we have? Let's see. Let's see. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I. J hasn't been invented yet. K. Okay. How many letters is that? Ten. Hmm. I'm sure they had a reason for it. But anyway, this should give you days of the week. Because we've got... Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is this counting every single day of the year? They just did it in a grid? It could be. I can't make heads or tails of this. These people need to label their axes. <laughs> this is true. Uh, but yes, so the Easter competition is immensely difficult to try and figure out and gets into how we talk about how the medievals discussed time, calculated time, and why it was such a why it was such a big deal. All right. We have segments. We do have segments. Most of them I feel like we have to skip. Yes. Because this is more of a discussion. Yes. So we don't have dialogue, death, or as far as I know, mythical beasts, unless there's some kind of calendar monster you want to tell me about. I mean, only the one that lives in my head after doing this. <laughs> How would we incorporate this into a D&D game? Well, <laughs> I think the simplest way here is by using the terminology. You can use calends, you can use nones, you can use ides. Maybe your calendar year isn't even 30 days, or maybe you want to pick out particular days that are your nones or your ides. Maybe the ides stays as the 15th, but you might want to play with calculations of time, saying, oh, well, it's the fifth day from the ides. And then that way, instead of trying to come up with a new way of saying Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like, you know, how they do in Skyrim. They come up with different words for these things, which, hey, if you do, keep going. But if you wanted to create a weekday system or a month system that is not as familiar to your players, I would highly recommend using Talon's No Names and Eyes. I would also recommend, and this is something I've done, having magic items available that have like a per week or per month use, but having months and weeks Ooh. with different numbers of days and people are used to. <gasps> oh, that's so mean. Like my last campaign world, I had a week arrangement based on the quasi-elemental planes. Like there was a weekday named after each one, Whoa. but there are eight quasi-elemental planes. And so it was an eight day week. Ooh, that is cool. And so if the, if you had a magic item that worked once a week, you'd have to remember that does not mean it works again after seven days. And if you try, you're, you're, you're It's not going to work. Eight That's amazing. Weeks. I like that. I think another, another thing you could do here is play with different calendar structures. So I think especially for large continent level games, you can play with how they measure time. So maybe they measure time on a movie. Maybe they measure time in regnal years. Maybe they have a different version of um, AD years. However you want to split that up, play with that because especially in medieval Europe, you didn't have a consistent way of timekeeping, especially for longer periods of time. So when a lot of D&D games are based off of these ideas of quote-unquote high fantasy medieval Europe or, you know, the high Middle Ages, take advantage of that. Play with that. So maybe, you know, one country uses Kalans and another country uses Anomumi or Regnal Years and 
think of the political disputes you can create mm-hmm. just by having one person use the wrong date or time on a seal or on a letter. It would also be fun to make all the fears of the medieval monks come true and have a holiday where horrible things really do happen if you don't sync up the calendars correctly. I think that would be hysterical. 10 out of 10 would love to see that in a D&D game. They calculated the festival on the wrong day. Oh, no. Tiamat showed up. I also, like, a phrase you used was that the calendars were getting out of sync with reality, and I kind of like the idea (laughs) that, like, as time progresses and it becomes clear there's an error in the calendar, reality literally starts getting out of sync with whatever organization is in charge of calendrical stuff. So the church, like, starts gradually becoming less physically real because they're they're out of sync. That is amazing. Okay, I think a less cool way of doing that, but something else you could do is, for instance... Say you have a druid or whoever, and their magic is based on the moon. Just throwing it out there. Now, what if the Church of the Druids, or whatever, whatever organization they have, their coven, says, Oh, no, 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 the equinox is on the 15th of this month. Every time. Every time. And over the years, the magic isn't working anymore because it's not actually the equinox and they can't figure it out. So maybe your character figures that out and it's like, oh no, I have secret magic moon powers, but it's like, no, I just actually know how to read the moon and I'm not, you know, clinging to this old tradition that doesn't work anymore. Building on that, you could also, yes. there, there's also space for a quest where it's like, the church or the coven or the druids have declared that the equinox is on May 15th. Now that we have passed this law, we're hiring you to enforce it. Oh Go make gosh. the equinox be on this day. Figure Ooh. out how. Oh, that would be wild. Because then you have to change the laws of nature. Yeah. That would be great. Especially that would if, be if like, the organization hiring you is like the Catholic Church, like a very large and powerful bureaucracy that doesn't mm-hmm. like being told no, but is kind of out of mm-hmm. touch with reality. So whenever you try to complain that like this is not something that's easy to do, they're just like, just do it, all right? What do you- just, just do it. Yeah. We will literally rewrite history for this. Yeah. What am I paying you for? Yeah. Oh, precisely. Amazing. Amazing. Let's see. Anything else? I think it would be a lot of fun to see if you do play with different ways of reckoning time, having X cataclysmic event supposed to happen Mm -hmm. on whatever day, but you have different groups arguing about what day that is. And so what if your players have to figure out, okay, when is this actual day and how are we going to stop this cataclysmic event from happening? What if it's manufactured? Mm-hmm. How do we stop a manufactured apocalypse from happening? I like it. Especially if you work in regnal years. So they're just like, all right, this says very clearly that it has to be exactly 1,500 years from the end of the reign of King Theodosius. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The records were destroyed. So now we have to figure out how to find out when Theodosius died. Yes. Maybe yes. we have to travel in time. Ooh. That would be good. That would be good. Or maybe we changed time systems too many times and now we don't know. Just like the the layers of complication have built up to such a point that it's no longer clear. Ooh, fun point of fact. I forgot I wrote this down. If you do celebrate Easter on the wrong day, it is called a dark Easter. That's amazing. A dark Easter. So 
why not use that? Incorporate that into whatever campaign you're using. Or just into life. I think I'm going to have yeah, a dark true. Easter tomorrow. <laughs> you might as well. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so why not have wrong holidays? What happens on a wrong holiday? And are there people who are intentionally celebrating wrong holidays or trying to get other people to intentionally celebrate wrong mm -hmm. holidays by sabotaging mm -hmm. the calendar? Is the Stormlord going to get if we do it on the wrong day? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, what happens if you antagonize a god by getting his feast day wrong over and over again? What, what do they do? That's a really good question. Because, like... Then you can play with how much are your gods involved versus mm -hmm. how much is politics. Yeah, like how, how much does the god actually care about like when his yeah. feast day is? Yeah, precisely. Maybe it varies church to church. Like maybe Ooh. maybe some gods are just like, yeah, whatever. As long as as long as you keep the sacrifices coming, I don't care when you do it. And other gods are like, No, look, I said quite clearly in my holy book that it has to be mm -hmm. on the thirteenth of whatever you weary, and if you're not yeah. gonna do it, <laughs> I'm gonna you smite weary? you. <laughs> I forget the month now. I'm just gonna call it that. <laughs> oh man. Okay, but what if you had a god who specifically gave a different a different date to different churches? Ah. Because they wanted to have like a continual sacrifice, mm -hmm. like keep it going, keep it going, keep it going, and then you have people start to travel more and realize that the holidays are different. Are they supposed to be different? Are they supposed to be congruent? What does this mean? Historically, I think it means holy war. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. Or at least, like, nasty letters to different churches, because that happened too. Yeah. Oof. Okay. I think that's all I've got. How many ages hence shall this, our lofty scene, be acted over? In states unborn... It's certainly still relevant Easter. now, because no one ever knows when Easter is. No one ever knows when Easter is. We haven't known when Easter is since the Council of Nicaea. Yeah is the long story short to that. This has actually come up for me in the past. When I was an undergrad, we were planning like a small conference, not like a big deal, just like we're going to get some authors to like come and give some talks and it'll be nice. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, no one on the scheduling committee really celebrated Easter. So we accidentally scheduled the conference on Easter weekend and that oh, no. completely derailed the whole thing. Because like everyone was like, well, I'm busy. It's Easter. And we're like, oh, it's, it's what? Easter. I forgot that was a thing. Because <laughs> all of us are either non-observant or Jewish or both. And so like, we don't know when Easter is. And since it's not a fixed date, it's hard to remember. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. I think it would be hilarious to incorporate that into a D&D game. Like, your players show up to do X, Y, or Z, and they don't realize it's a national holiday. Ah. What kinds of issues do they come up with if they're like, okay, we have X days to get mm -hmm. the magic sword and fight the dragon. And everyone's mm -hmm. like, well, listen, it's the holy day, so you're going to have to wait. Yeah, gotta wait, dude. We can't do it today. Oh, that would be great. God will be angry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this entire thing connects to the present. I mean, we did talk about how different calendars are used. So, I mean, the Jews and the Muslims still use a different calendar than we do. Or at least the, the Orthodox communities. Yes, true. Which is why Orthodox Jews are technically living in the future. Because for them, it's like the year 4000 or something. Nice. <laughs> I'm just, it just makes me so thankful that we don't have to deal with a crazy, ridiculous calendar. Like We sorted it out. But it also makes me wonder, are we doing time wrong? Like what if they what if they were more accurate in terms of separating 
the months into, like, September sometimes has 30 days, but sometimes it has 31. What if we think that it's 2021, but it actually should be, like, 2023? It's a good question. How do we know any of this? This is why I don't do math. Also, I just looked it up, and apparently in the uh, Hebrew calendar, it is in fact currently the year 5781. Nice! Did they use an auto-moondy reckoning? I think so. I was going to say, that sounds like an auto-moondy reckoning. Yeah, it's about the right length. Yeah. Because they're not technically living in the future. No. They're living in the present. It's just counted differently. But it's such a weird thing to think about. It's more fun to say that, like, no, they're living in the future. Oh, it's way more fun. That's just what the year 5781 is like. There you go. The end. All right, what's our next? The Tolkien Tally. Did Tolkien do anything about it? I mean, actually, I do know for a fact that he, like, sat down with the graph paper and calculated how long it would take to get to different places. So his timelines actually work. Good. Which props to him. I had always assumed that all fantasy authors did that, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't think most do. Oh, they should. You know, you gotta love Tolkien for figuring this out. Here we go. The elves, owing to their longevity, reckoned in a period of 144 years, a gross. Mm -hmm. They called that a yen. This was divided into 8,766 six-day weeks. So they had a six-day week. They recognized the solar year, and they had six months or seasons, so they had a six-month year. So still fairly based on our own. The Numenorians had some, which had seven days, 365, yeah. So his was still pretty straightforward. Yep, hobbits had 12 months of 30 days. They had extra days in midsummer and two in midwinter. That still seems like the best way to do things is to just have like an extra day instead of like, okay, I agree. September is 31 days this year and, and 30 days the next year. You can just be like, all right, so this year is four days shorter than usual. So everyone has four days off at the end of the year or something like that. That would be great. You can't schedule anything because this day has no date. Yes. It's just the extra it's time the before extra the next day. calendar starts. You know, I feel like that would be collectively so good for us. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, there is, in fact, a uh, a Tolkien calendar that you can find. I will link that because yeah. that is fantastic. So you can figure out what day it is according to Shire Reckoning and Rivendell Reckoning. Oh. Okay, so it's not like a fireman calendar. Like, it's not like Tolkien posing in skimpy clothing. No. <laughs> Although, <laughs> there's also the Steward's Reckoning, which I believe would be... Not Rohan, Gondor. Yeah, that's Gondor. Gondor, yep. Because they didn't have days until we had the sun and the moon, because Galadriel's older than the moon, because they just had the two trees. Mm -hmm. So I don't think Tolkien directly pulled from any sort of computus. That wasn't really his area of expertise. He was more into the Scandinavian, Norse, Old English literature than he was into the end of the world. Yeah. But you can find Tolkien calendars, and he did create a calendar, so... Sit at the kitchen table. Well, I mean, obviously, we do have something for the kitchen table. Dates. Valid. <laughs> I'll take it. Man, I was, I was going like Jesus's body. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but I don't, I, I don't know if I want to write that down. <laughs> I like that better. I like that better. Oh, man. Okay. 
the Dungeon Master's Dictionary. Dungeon Master's Dictionary. Well, we talked about the Talons, mm-hmm. the Ides, and the Nones. I think it's technically Ides, yeah. but we've, we've turned it into Ides, yeah. so sure. We've also got the term Computus, mm-hmm. which would be fun to use. And which, as briefly alluded to earlier, means that if you have like a complicated calendrical system and you have monks who are trying to work it out, that means you can introduce someone to your players as, this is our monastery's computer, and watch them yes. be confused. I think that would be hysterical and amazing and should definitely be incorporated. Even if it's just like the guy in the meme who's got all of his papers on the wall behind him, who's just like, I need to calculate the day of the best. And I don't know what it is. I like that you're referring to Charlie as the guy in the meme. Have you not seen I don't know It's what Always it's Sunny? From. I've never seen it. It's alright. It's I overrated, it's but it's not meme. bad. That's fair. Okay, so we've got those terms. Alright, anything else? We've got the zodiacs. That's true. You could adapt the zodiac. I feel like there's something to be done with the phrase golden days of the calendar. I agree with that. I don't have a specific idea. It just, it feels like a good phrase. So use that as you will. The first thing that I thought of was a celebration day for a particularly bad tyrant for when he died. Oh yeah. It's like, this is the golden day when we celebrate his death. That's that's what I came up with. But it could also be a saint's day. It could be whatever you want it to be. So there you go. Yeah. Or just particularly important festivals you could have referred to as golden days. That's probably where we get that phrase. Like, those were the golden days? Oh, yeah, it might be. Hey, hey. Another one for the (laughs) in common parlance. You could also take it a step further, like how uh, Greek mythology has the golden age and the silver age. And Okay, these are the golden days of the year. These are the silver days of the year. These are the bronze days of the year. Ooh, I like that. And you could expand it to, like, a bunch of different metals. You could be like, these are the copper days of the year, and these are the iron days of the year. (laughs) (laughs) These are the tin days. They're kind of crappy. We don't really like those. And you could have calculations for those, so they might be different every single year. So you have to have an almanac to figure out when those days are. Yeah, and very, like, specific societal rules. Like, oh, you cannot eat fish on a leaden day of the year. Yes, I like that. Ooh, that's some good world building. That's some good world building. Something that probably would your players would be more confused than appreciated, but I think it would be fun. I think it depends on how you approach it. Because if you have a player, for instance, who has a very particular race that they want to play, or as a cleric or a paladin, and they want to uphold those traditions as they travel, they could be very particular in day-to-day party life. I think that would be hysterical. That is pretty great. I think you could do so much with that. Like, if the party pressures them to eat something that they can't eat on a certain day, then are they cursed? What does their god do? You know? What if other characters in the party don't take it seriously, and then all of a sudden you have to deal with a major curse? And if it does have to be done by computers, does that mean that your paladin is carrying around, like, a big codex listing all the days just so they know when they're allowed to do what? They'd have to. And what happens if they lose it? I like these ideas. I like these ideas. I mean, we saw those charts. Yeah. It wouldn't really have to be a big codex. You could just have, like, your little list. Yeah, that's true. Like, have your little chart, and it's like, what? what is that? It's like, oh, don't worry about it. So, you know, spectacular days when I can't eat that thing. Yeah, you could ju- it could just be like a scroll with, like, a bunch of impenetrable tables. Ooh. Everyone everyone thinks he's a wizard. Because he he's got all these scrolls. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, no, 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 you guys. 
not. It's really not. I'm not casting a spell from the scroll. I'm checking the scroll to see if I'm allowed to cast this spell today. Yeah, yeah! <laughs> you could create an entire class based on that. And culturally, people are like, oh, they have their scrolls. That's how they learn their magic. No, no, no. It's just, it's just the rule book. It's just the rule book. All the magic's in here. That would be pretty amazing. That would actually be a really interesting variant cleric or paladin classes. You, you have a handful of extra abilities, but to balance it out, there are really strict rules on when you can and can't use them or any abilities. Yes, I will say... You definitely need to have the right player for that. Yes. You could not put that on any player. So if it grabs you and you're a DM, take your player, be responsible about that. Because I know some players would be like, this is the worst thing. I don't want, like, I'm playing D&D so that I don't have to keep track of these rules. Mm-hmm. So I can just cast magic. I just want to cast fireball. But, like, you're keeping track of your spells anyway. You have to pick out spells for the day anyway. Yeah. It's not that big a difference. Anyway. <laughs> Street smarts! Pick a calendar system that works. <laughs> Don't celebrate a dark Easter. But how do you know if it's a dark Easter? I feel like this brings up a lot of issues. <laughs> but yeah, street smarts. Don't celebrate a dark Easter. Be very careful about your computus. And you know what? If you get to the point where you have to draw like huge, complicated tables in order to figure out when your feast day is, just scrap the whole system and start over. Something's going wrong. I mean, I would disagree only because if you look at our space program Mm -hmm. and how we got to that point, we did the same thing. They were writing all that stuff by hand. That shouldn't have worked. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. You know, we sent people into space in a tin can that shouldn't have worked, and it did. So, I mean, sometimes you can have indecipherable gibberish, and it does work. And this worked for a good 500 years, so you can't really discount it. But once it starts getting off, you should probably think about changing how you calculate it. Of course, once they did that, they got their Gregorian calendar, and then that that just made it worse. So, I digress. I'm trying to remember this story about uh, calculating by hand. Is it the one where... Was it Armstrong who... It was one of the astronauts who didn't trust the... Yeah, that's the one I'm trying to remember. Mm -hmm. I didn't trust the actual, like, physical yeah. calculators, and so they call up this one lady who could do it. I think it's Katherine Johnson. Yeah. Her job title, I think, was computer, because... It's computer, yeah. The, the, the group of women who are doing all that math by hand, they're the computers. They're the computers. They're computing. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, one of the astronauts, it might have been Armstrong, like looked at like the numbers being spit out by the mechanical computer and was like, look. Didn't trust it. Not sure I trust this newfangled technology. You got to get Miss Johnson to look at it before I go in that tin can. Future Mac here. It was John Gray. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she got it right. All right. Find your calculations carefully. Okay. Best moment. I mean, my best moment was your reaction to this, <laughs> because it's so ridiculous. I'm glad. I'm not even an expert on this. Like, I explained this at, like, maybe on par level. Mm-hmm. Anybody who actually studies this could do it way better than I could. Yeah, I'm sure that somewhere there is, like, some a medievalist who specializes in this, who's, like, currently shouting at their headphones, like, why aren't you talking about the X, Y, and Z? I wrote a whole paper I'm sure. on it. I'm sure. I do not do math. I am not good at this. I got into medieval studies so that I wouldn't have to do math. <laughs> and yet here I am. But yes, yeah, that's that's my best moment. <laughs> I mean, ditto, but 
your reactions to my terrible jokes, I think, have been kind of made my day. Dates. <laughs> Dates. I love it. Final rating. Can we rate it? I was going to say I'm reticent to do a final rating because we didn't really talk about a text. Yeah, no, I think we can pass on that. I mean, in terms of how easy it is to understand Computus, if you're just looking at it, zero out of ten. Yeah. Zero. I will assign the Tiberius scribe and, by extension, all of the Computus writers a ten out of ten for penmanship and a zero out of ten for this is nonsense. Yes, fair enough. They look really cool. Like, if you had it on your wall, mm-hmm. so cool. But unless you're really into this stuff, you know, very difficult to read. So hopefully this is your your toe dip into Computus and then you never have to touch it again. It's like SAT math. (laughs) Welcome to the Leech's Corner. All right. Do you have a Leech's Corner for us? Mm, I think I do. uh, Unless you've got one. I don't have one on hand. I was deep into trying to figure out calculations and all of, like I genuinely actually looked at some of these calculations. I was going to try and explain some of these calculations for you and then I gave up. I don't blame you. So, you know, but I will link several articles for those mathematicians out there who are very interested in this. I will link those articles for you. Bone apple tea. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> okay, here's one that I've been wanting to do. <clears throat> This is from uh, Leech Book, Book 2, Chapter 6. What body part are we on? Uh, Mouth. Mouth, okay. Against want of appetite and nausea which cometh from the maw and from the man's food, give him after his night's fast wormwood or bee bread, put it into sharp wine. Bee bread is something you feed bees, not something that's made from bees, to be clear. Yes, I, I am familiar with this concept. For the listeners. Well, okay, hang on, hang on. Because are you are you sure? Are you sure? Because there is such a thing as bee bread. You're making that up. You don't make bread out of bees. No, it's a it's a mixture of pollen and honey. Yeah, no, that's that's what I mean. That that is what this is. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yes, yes. It's bee bread because it's something that bees eat. Yes. Okay, when you said feed bees, I was like, this is something people make to, to feed bees. I was very confused. Okay, yes. I mean, if you're a beekeeper, you probably do like have to monitor how much they have and maybe try and bring them some extra supplies. Yes. But like, to be clear, this is not bread made from bee is the, yes. the thing I want our listeners to get. That would be nasty. Yes. Or maybe not. I've never tried it. I have no intention to do so. Mm-mm. But anyway, wormwood or bee bread. Put into sharp wine, give it to him at night fasting, and after that, salt meats with sweetened vinegar and prepared mustard and radish to eat, and make him eat all the foods and drinks which have a hot and sharp quality. And this is why I really wanted to touch on this, is that this next part says, Beware that they not suffer indigestion, and let them take at night fasting good wine heated and clear. The pronoun used is hie. Which can either be the accusative feminine singular, her, Mm -hmm. or the nominative plural, they. The structure of the sentence places it in the nominative position, and the previous sentence referred to the patient by masculine pronouns. So this is a singular they being used before they was a word. Like, so when people say singular they goes back to Chaucer, yes, but it actually goes back further. Because here's an example from 300 years before Chaucer, before they was a word. Wow, that is fascinating. 
Yeah, I was really excited when I saw this. Yeah. I wonder how widespread that is. I'm curious about its, about its usage. I've never, I will say, my skills with Old English are more so that I see, like, he and I'm like, okay, cool. I know that that's a pronoun, I'll just translate it yeah. as it fits in the sentence. And I don't double check necessarily as, as carefully as I probably should. So I don't think I've ever noticed this. I can't recall a time that I have. I'm going to have to keep an eye out for it, see if other people have written about it, because if not, people need to know that this is a thing. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. But anyway, huh. anyway, after they drink their good wine heated and clear at night, which I'm not sure sounds good. Do you, do you want hot, clear wine? I mean, I think clear is referring to either white wine or the fact that it doesn't have particulates in it. I'm assuming it's the particulate one, yeah. Yeah, but I enjoy warm wine, like, you know, mold wine. That's true, but that's not clear. It's cloudy. There's stuff in it. I mean, true. I don't know. It is, okay, it is a cure. It is, you know, you're drinking, like, your cough syrup. Right, okay, fair. Let them, after the night's fast, lap up honey. I don't know why they can't eat it with, like, a a utensil, but apparently they have to (laughs) lick it up like a dog. (laughs) Oof. And let them seek for themselves fatigue in riding on horseback or in a wane or such conveyance as they may ever endure. Again, this is against want of appetite and nausea. So, like, drink hot wine at night, wake up, lick up some honey, and then ride around on a horse or in a wagon or whatever until you're worn out. I mean, it would work up an appetite? I guess. Especially if all you've had is a bit of honey. Honey and wine. They've got some additional ideas, though. Oh, okay. Again, so a different treatment for the same condition. For want of appetite for food. Take southern cumin, moisten it with vinegar, then dry it and rub to pieces in a mortar. And of fennel seed and of dill, three spoon measures, rub it all together... Add of pepper, three spoon measures, and of leaves of rue, seven spoon measures, and of the best strained honey, one pint. Triturate all together. Ache it out then with vinegar, as may seem fit to thee, so that it may be wrought into the form in which mustard is tempered for flavoring. Whatever that means. Put it then into a glass vessel, and then with bread, or with whatever food thou choose, lap it up, and make use of it. It's a sauce! Yeah, I was going to say, this sounds like a great chicken marinade. It's a sauce that you dip whatever food you choose into. Can you please send this to me as you have it written out? Because I genuinely want to try this. I will, but I don't know what all, what a lot of these terms mean. <laughs> like, I don't know I how you eat something out. out with vinegar. I'm, not, I'm also not sure what trituration is. It comes up a lot. Interesting. Well, okay. Send it to me, and we should. I'll do like a post- or some social media thing where I try it and, and I'm not going to make it like, I might make it like a sauce, but I was thinking chicken marinade because I have no want of appetite. All right. I'm going to, I'll send it to you once I'm done reading the thing. Okay. Perfect. Yes. And make use of it. Even though thou shouldst sup it up with a spoon, that will help. So apparently it can also be a soup. Interesting. This use thou either at eventide or at undern. So... Evening or... 9 a.m. 9 a.m. Evening or morning. What's that word? Undern. U-N-D-E-R-N. I like that. Yeah. I, I looked it up. In Old English, it's 9 a.m. About. That's another one for the DM Dictionary. The remedy is not good for want of appetite of the maw only, but is valid for all the body. And finally, another much shorter solution for want of appetite for food. Rub up with vinegar pennyroyal moistened in water. Give it to be drunk against nausea. For want of appetite again, 
give to drink mint and nine corns of pepper rubbed small in wine. The end. Interesting. I know mint helps with nausea. What was the one previously? Is it the vinegar and, and the other herb? Pennyroyal. What is pennyroyal? Oh, let's find out. Ah, according to Google, pennyroyal is a plant that is used to make medicine. Yes. yes. Okay. So, oh, it's related to mint. So that would check out. That's going to help. These seem like some actually good good uses. Although, according to Wikipedia, pennyroyal can also be toxic to the liver. So you got to be careful with it. Fair enough. Oh, and apparently it's also an abortifacient. Oh. Do not take if pregnant. Yes. Huh. I wonder if, oh, for nausea, morning sickness. Ooh, that would be, that would be pretty neat, actually, if that was what was going on here. If this is like a sneaky euphemism. I mean, they wouldn't be able to really write it down yeah. as such. That's interesting. It's also an eminagogue, which is a word I had to look up. What is this word? It stimulates menstruation. Ah, uh, yes. That's it. That popped up when I looked it up. Interesting. So if you have menstruation problems or are looking to get rid of an unwanted pregnancy. Or your or liver. if you have some stomach issues. But be careful. It's Interesting. Bad. It's, it's, it is toxic. Well, yes. Also, I'm sending you the thing over the chat now. Ooh, yay. Additional note, because I thought this was fascinating. Bee bread is lacto-fermented and enzyme-activated. So normal pollen. You know how in a lot of like fancy like Whole Foods-style stores you can buy pollen now? I didn't. <laughs> that will do basically nothing for you because raw pollen is not really digestible or nourishing. But fermented bee bread has more protein and can help with allergies. Maybe raw pollen is being sold as a weapon. Like, if you know someone with allergies, you can chuck a jar of it at them. Because it's mixed with bee saliva. So it has probiotic bacteria and yeasts. Now I want to try it. Bee bread? Yeah. Mm, Report back. Yeah, if I can find it, that's the thing. Huh. Anyway, there we go. I'm, at some point, going to try this this marinade. (laughs) Yeah, if you figure out what the actual recipe is, because, again, I don't know some of these words. Yes. Pass it on. I may try it too, and then we can give competing reviews of it. Yes. Sounds like a plan. All right. Well, I think that's all we've got. That's all I've got. Thank you for listening to The Maniculum. Please consider leaving a rating and review in Apple Podcasts to help support the project. For more geeky additions or to see our sources and notes, check out our blog, Marginalia, at themaniculumpodcast.com. You can also join our Facebook group, The Maniculum Podcast, to join in on discussions about all things medieval. And feel free to reach out. We're on Twitter, at Maniculum, and on Instagram, at Maniculum Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And special thanks to Sandra Boyle, who created the music for our show. You can check out her project, Sugar Glass, on Spotify. Yeah, I'm cut some of it. I out. think I'm gonna be editing the past half hour or so down a lot. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but these are really um, cool to look at. And we should def- very cool. definitely um put some screenshots on the on the blog. Yes.